Hello and welcome to the Marysville Church of Christ podcast. This is Heritage, and my name is Bishop Darby. I'll be your host. Welcome to season two. Bithynia, what a fascinating city. Not the biggest, not the wealthiest, not the greatest, and yet one of the most important in the Roman Empire. Bithynia stood in Asia Minor as kind of a a barrier between all the opponents that exist in the east and the holy city of Rome in the west. So it made sense then that every emperor put the most important, intelligent, and greatest leaders of their time out there in Bithynia to protect and guide and defend the borders. The year is 112, and we find ourselves sitting in the governor's palace in Bithynia looking at one of the greatest minds in the Roman world, a guy by the name of Gaius Secundus, better known as Pliny the Younger. He had been present to, survived, and written about some of the greatest moments in Roman history, from the eruption of Mount Pompeii that took his father, to some of the greatest battles against the Parthians, and to some of the most important royal moments. He was there, a writer, a transcriber, and a historian to all of them. And now he found himself at a very important juncture, trusted with one of the most important areas in Rome. It wasn't long after he took the job that things began to turn around for the better. I mean, he was brilliant, and his entourage, including people like Tacitus and others, allowed him the opportunity to be brilliant. He found that they were able to turn around the economy, cut down on crime, and even open up trade routes to new tribes in the north, bringing wealth to the city. But one day, one of his guards came into this royal palace and announced some words that he dreaded to hear. There had been this nasty sect of radicals for about 60 years at this point who had gone all across the Roman Empire, and they had finally made their way this far east These revolutionaries who stood at nothing to topple the the ideals of Rome, known to be cannibals for eating and drinking blood and meat, the body of a human, and not only that, but family lovers, husbands and wives that are also brothers and sisters, breaking every purity law that they had, while also refraining from some of the most important parts of the Roman culture. They wouldn't stand at the rising of the eagle, which was the Roman flag. They wouldn't pledge their allegiance to Caesar or to Rome. They were dissidents, and now they were here. Not much could rattle Pliny the Younger. I mean, he had sat at lava's flow and swords clashing. And yet here he stood, petrified at the prospect that these dissidents had made their way, even to Bithynia. What was he going to do? What was there to do? So tonight, he found himself at his desk, writing, scribbling away, and rewriting a letter to the emperor, Trajan. The letter writes, It is my custom, sire, to refer to you in all cases where I am in doubt, for who can better clear up difficulties and inform me? I have never been present at any legal examinations of these radicals, these Christians, And I do not know, therefore, what are the usual penalties passed upon them, or the limits of those penalties, or how searching an inquiry should be made 
I hesitated a great deal in considering whether any distinction should be drawn according to age or the weak or the strong. Should they all be punished, even tortured, until they recant? In the meantime, this is the plan which I have adopted. I bring Christians before me, and I ask them whether they are Christians, and if they say yes, then I repeat it a second time and also a third, warning them of the penalties that are to come, and if they still defy me, then I cast them into prison and await them for torture. Still others, still others, there were names given to me by a supplier, and these said that they were Christians then denied it, insisting they had turned away some time ago, and they proved it by worshiping the image of the emperor and the Roman eagle. But they declared to me that their guilt or error was simply this, that on a day all they would do is come and meet, recite a hymn among themselves to Christ as though he were a god. And so far from binding themselves to cannibalism or other crimes that they have committed, they swore to keep from theft and robbery, adultery, breach of faith, and to deny any trust of money deposited with them when called upon to deliver it. This ceremony over, they used to take food in representation of a special character. And it was entirely harmless. They also had ceased from this practice after the edict I issued, by which, in accordance with your orders, I forbade all secret societies. See, he was looking around Pliny, wrestling with what he had heard about these radicals, these disgusting animalistic people, butchering and killing and eating, overthrowing Rome, and when, they, when he met them, what he found was a group of peaceful people, averting their, their lives from sin. As he was constructing this letter, he needed more information and he knew it. So he began a large-scale campaign across Bithynia, searching home to home, finding anybody who claims to be a Christian or any remnants of this Christian activity. Because he needed answers. Were they these cannibals who ate the body and blood of people? Were they family lovers who married their brother and sister? And then he stumbled upon two women, slave women. He would later define them as deaconesses of the church of Bithynia. And he brought them before them. And he writes this. I then thought it more merciful to get to the facts behind their statements, so I placed these two women, called deaconesses, under torture. But I found only a superstition carried to great lengths, so I postponed my examination and immediately consulted you. This seems to be a matter of your prompt consideration, especially as to so many people are in danger, uh, because so many people are in danger. Many of all ages and both sexes are put in peril of their lives by their accusers, and this process will go on, for the contagion of this superstition has spread not merely through the free towns, but into the villages and all the farms. Still, I think it is our objective to halt and set things right. Beyond any doubt, the temples which were nigh deserted are beginning again to be thronged with these worshipers. The sacred rites, which long have been lapsed, are now being renewed. And the food for the sacrificial victim is again finding a sale. This sacrificial victim being Jesus. Pliny here is identifying the fact that he did everything he could with these two women to get them to break their faith and give them information. He even put them into torture, and Romans were inc incredibly good torturers. 
And yet, despite it all, these two women, these two slave women, these deaconesses of the church of Bithynia, refused to give up their information. And it challenged him. He was expecting radical revolutionaries. He was expecting these people to overthrow the system violently. He was waiting for the threat and the fear, and what he found was love, compassion, sympathy, and kindness, even in the face of torture, refusing to exhibit hate, refusing to give in, and refusing to let go of Christ. These two deaconesses, unnamed in the church of Bithynia, would become a rallying cry for many churches in Asia Minor. We'll see many letters and documents written about them. As their sacrifice and their suffering at the hands of Pliny changed the region. And not only that, but this was one of the first times in Roman history that one of the most important and influential Roman imperial officers came face to face with Jesus. Though Pliny never became an elder, Though Pliny never became a Christian, Pliny was never the same. His view of Christians and his treatment of them became much more gentle and kind, even being accused himself of having sympathy for them. Because these, this action of these two women in the city of Bithynia, in the face of chains and torture, was willing to show what it meant to be a Christian, not bowing before Caesar or standing in allegiance to the Roman eagle, but to stand alone for Jesus and pledge allegiance only to him. This act of defiance in the face of Roman imperialism and power, this disregard for one's own life, became a part of our heritage. And as we sit here 2,000 years later, we learn and respect the actions of these two women who forever changed the world by their love for Christ. I'll see you next week.